Broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories that traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you to the right people. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian McIntyre. I'm joined in the studio today for another edition of our mini-series, Connect PHX, leading up to and brought to you by PHX Startup Week. I'm joined here by two fascinating uh, guests. Not vests, that would be an article of clothing. That'd be super weird. We've got two guests. Hillary Ken is Chief of Staff for PHX Startup Week. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. And also Rachel Kratz, who is the lead organizer for One Million Cups Phoenix and many other interesting things that we will learn about. Welcome, Rachel. Awesome. Thank you. So why don't you start off by giving us a little introduction to your world, the kind of work you do, the people you serve, and why this is so important. Hillary? Yes, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief of Staff for Phoenix Startup Week. In that role, I am the connector of everybody on the organizing committee. My responsibility is to make sure that the teams are communicating with each other and that no tasks or balls are dropped. So it's been a very fun and challenging role this year. Uh, previously, with start, uh, the Startup Week committee, I was in charge of sponsorships and running that. So it was nice to kind of take another step up and have a little bit more responsibility this year. Now, this is an all-volunteer core organizing team, all the organizing team members. There's lots of different subgroups and things. So you really do have a lot that you touch in the course of doing this. This is, of course, the biggest event in the annual calendar for our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Such a mouthful. What are some of the things that you've learned in this role? What are some of the challenges that you're facing uh, and, and why are you doing it? Great questions. Um, there's certainly challenges. You are correct. We are a 100% volunteer team from our board of directors to every event uh, volunteer that comes out just for the week of the event. Uh, for the core organizing team, we have about 50 members from the community representing um, all different backgrounds uh, to help execute this event throughout the year. So we're in charge of finding the venues, finding the sponsors, sourcing the water that you will drink at the event, <laughs> um, the lunches, um, putting together the programming and identifying the speakers and bringing all of that together. Um, some of the challenges are that we're all volunteers, so we all have our own day jobs, right? You know, I'm chief of staff for this interview, but I run my own business. And I'd say about half of us do run our own businesses. So it can be challenging just to, you know, make the time to be able to meet with each other. And then, you know, we're also a, a volunteer committee that has no money that's sitting in a bank account, right? We have to raise all of these funds to put on the event. And our target audience is uh, entrepreneurs and startups. So it's been fun to kind of connect the community that way. Tell us a little bit, Hillary, about your consulting practice, about your day job uh, and the kind of work you do, the kind of people you serve and why Startup Week is something you wanted to add to your uh, roster of things to do. How do they fit together? Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background uh, about myself. I have a really diverse uh, background. I started in retail, as many of us do, worked my way up through corporate, and then made a huge shift and started working in animal hospitals in the veterinary field. And loved every minute of that. I did that for about 10 years and then pivoted again largely and started working in operations and manufacturing. And what I you know, found through this experience was that you can make career transitions at just about any time of life, but you need the right direction to build that personal brand and, and make these changes. 
So I launched High Consulting, which is my business in 2017 to help others that are experiencing some type of career transition, build their personal brand and make these transitions themselves. I work with a lot of people that have worked in corporate or a career path that's not the right fit for them and choose to make the entrepreneurial jump, which is why Startup Week is a perfect place for me to be. We first met uh, at Harahub a while back. And one of the things we were talking about at that time was specifically LinkedIn. And you were telling me about some of the work that you do for folks who are either in transition or they're leaving corporate wanting to start their own thing or however they're navigating those moments. LinkedIn, even since that time, has become even more uh, dynamic, uh, much more of a content play than even it was 18 months ago. Uh, Can you speak a little bit about some of the specifics of the kind of work you're doing to help people get ready for the next role? Yeah, there's a, a wide range when it comes to LinkedIn as to what you can focus on. Um, with the work that I do, I, I will specifically work with individuals and help them build their personal page. And then I also do workshops for executives, boards of directors, sales teams to help them learn how to best use the platform. Generally speaking, the best way to optimize your profile page so that you can be found by the people that are looking for you with your talents is to have a great profile picture, a background image, and then a headline that goes beyond what you do as a job title. You want something that talks about who you are, who you serve, very similar to the question that you just asked Rachel and I at the beginning of this, and then a really well-built-out uh, summary or about statement that talks not just about who you are professionally, but as a person. This is something that um, I, I'm not, by the way, I'm not sure I haven't looked at some of these sections of my own LinkedIn profile in a while, even though I, I teach a lot of what you're talking about. It's one of those cobbler's kids not wearing shoes type situations. But the about section or your summary, uh, it, you definitely don't want to make the mistake that I see a lot of people making on a website, which is you assume that the about you section should literally be about you, when in fact, it should probably be about how you solve the problem someone else has and find a way to weave some of your expertise and some of your background into making it about them, which is not what it's called, but that's really what it should be. When you're working with these folks, Hillary, uh, you're often trying to navigate between these two worlds, like, you know, there's people out there who are looking for them, you're sort of listening and looking and advising them on behalf of their potential audience. But you're also dealing with their own insecurities, their own, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes just simple um, lack of awareness of their own accomplishments or an unwillingness to frame them in those terms. So you really do have an interesting role to translate human capabilities into words and pictures and other assets that will connect with the people that they need to meet. How do you go about doing that? What do you love about it? One of my favorite exercises to do is um, a five strengths exercise. So uh, I ask the individual sitting in front of me, what would you describe as your top five strengths? Five words. And then we take those five strengths and write them down. And then the challenge is to then ask a total of 10 other people, five personal, five professional, what they view as your top five strengths. So you get this outward viewpoint of who you are. Most of the time, everything comes back in you know, a pretty aligned picture. But what we can do from there is see how not only you view yourself, but how others view you as well. And then from that, we build a story bank. So maybe a leadership is a strength of yours. So let's talk about a specific example when you demonstrated leadership and build this into 
you know, your personal branding, your about statement on your LinkedIn profile so that it continues to come across and how you're speaking about yourself. That's marvelous. And Rachel, you have your own unique perspective as you have worked in a lot of different roles uh, and been out and about over the years. But why don't you start with a similar kind of introduction? Who is Rachel Kratz and what kind of work do you do? What do you love about it? Sure. Um, I'm Rachel, and I'm the lead organizer of One Million Cups Phoenix. Um, I've been doing that for about a year and a half. We meet every single Wednesday morning, and I um, work with our entire organizing team to make sure that happens and that the One Million Cups community stays strong. Uh, For the past two years, I was a virtual assistant to entrepreneurs. Um, I worked with solo entrepreneurs or people with small teams in the Valley um, as their assistant if they weren't ready to hire someone on full time or um, just had a few hours that they wanted to give off to an assistant. And recently I've switched. I'm now an executive assistant to an entrepreneur within the Valley. So One Million Cups, first of all, let's just start with that, because in addition to the work that you've done, uh, you know, both as a self-employed assistant and now as a W-2 employee working with a fast-growing company, you've got an interesting point of view. I need to unpack this and get more of your your insights here. Um, But One Million Cups itself, how do you describe this phenomenon to somebody who's never heard about it? So I say that we exist to connect entrepreneurs to their community and also help them solve problems. Um, We do this by meeting weekly. We meet every single Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. And each week, one to two entrepreneurs present about their business for six minutes, followed by 15 to 20 minutes of Q&A from the audience. And then afterwards, people stay in network. And my favorite part is that people actually usually stay for at least 45 minutes afterwards to connect with the community. How did One Million Cups get started? How did you get connected to it? So One Million Cups is actually part of the Kauffman Foundation, which is out of Kansas City, Missouri. And I like to say we're their boots on the ground initiative. They're a foundation that researches and funds entrepreneurship and education. Um, And they realized that they'd never really talked to the people that they were um, researching. And so they were like, oh, we should have them come in. And it just so happened that they did free breakfast on Wednesday mornings at the Kauffman Foundation. So that's why they picked Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. and they would have an entrepreneur come in and talk. And then they realized that really was going well in Kansas City and other cities wanted it. And now there's over 180 chapters across the country. Um, so we like to say if you're moving or traveling and you want to get connected to an entrepreneurial ecosystem that you don't know anything about, just check to see if they have a One Million Cups community. So they all meet at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. Um, I got connected through a client I was working for when I first moved here. It was the first he took me. He's like, this will be great for you. And they were so welcoming. And I'm like, oh, there's people my age who do cool things. I should stay. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a fascinating realization, especially if you have a work from home role or you just you only experience the community through some of the other networking events that are available. They may not always give you the sense that you fit in or belong or that people like me are here. This is a theme we want to circle back to because I know one of the commitments of PHX Startup Week is that everybody feels welcome, everyone feels included, uh, regardless of what they look like, what kind of work they do, what kind of company they're starting, whether they're self-employed, solopreneur, or whether they're the C-suite executive of a fast growth startup. You know, so we'll, we'll come back to that. But when you decided to take on the role as lead organizer, you stepped from the participator, the participation side, right? Being in the audience, being in the chair to being behind the scenes. And you've done that now for two years? Just about. What have you learned? 
yeah, uh, how everyone just really needs some support. Like it gets very lonely running your own business, especially if you're doing it alone. Um, and you need someone to say, yeah, that's happening to me too. And it's not just you. Um, and like this past week, two people that come pretty regularly are at this point in their business where they're like, do I keep going? Like it doesn't feel like it's working or do I, do I stop and go get a job? And they both were at that point and we all sat through and because I recently have went and gotten a job, like what that looks like. And it's somebody that's like, you're not crazy. Like you got to keep going. Or, or stop. Well, right. Depending right? on because, what it is. Yes. yes. <laughs> and this is, this is what's so fascinating to me is that, um, so I went to one event. I haven't been to as many as I would have liked to. I, I have um, marked interested in the Facebook events many more times than I've actually attended. Um, and, and partly due to, to timing and sharing one car and having young children and all the rest. But the, I think it's important that people have um, a community that gives them feedback on what sometimes we can delude ourselves into thinking is a viable option. Like not every idea is a good one or not every good idea is an executable one or the way in which we're going about executing our idea might not be the one and sometimes very attached to might not be the one that makes the most sense. So I observed that it was a fascinating environment for people to, I mean, everyone was very kind. And at the same time, there was a sense of, um, and, you know, you really need to think about some of these things because this is creating a vulnerability for you. Or I don't see how that's going to work. Have you thought about X, Y, or Z? Such an interesting kind of a moment because on the one hand, everybody can have a good idea for how you should do it. They don't have to actually go do it. It's easy to have, you know, the idea. On the other hand, sometimes you get the sense that the founder really needs some some guidance or some some guardrails from somebody else's experience to say, hey, watch out, there's an edge there. Don't go over that edge. Like you're, you're heading perilously close to, to something. I've been there. You want to watch out. Uh, do you see that kind of thing a lot? What's the nature of the feedback? Yeah. So we like to say we're dolphin tank instead of shark tank. People usually paint a picture then. And that's really what you were just describing. Um, because that 15 to 20 minute Q&A section at the end, people are like, oh, well, I've seen something like this. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And during the networking afterwards, people will also go more into depth and talk with that founder about those concerns or what they think they're doing really well and to keep going in that direction and not worry so much about all of these other avenues you could be going down. So, yes. I would say, too, as a cautionary tale, other people's ideas can create a real burden, right? Because now you're listening to things and you might think, well, yeah, like, the, but those are three different businesses or three different partnerships I'd have to pursue or three different new people I'd have to hire because I don't have those skill sets already. Um, so, you know, it's this interesting juggling act. Um, but what binds them all together is, well, coffee and community and a sense of not being alone. Why is community something that's important to you? Why is this the the path you've you've gone down? Yeah. That's, yeah, the community aspect of One Million Cups is why I really chose to do it. I feel like there's so many networking events in Phoenix. You could go to a networking event every day of the week if your heart really desired, but usually they're monthly or quarterly. And you attend and maybe you attend in, let's say, September and then you're busy in October and you go back in November. You don't know anyone in that room. Like maybe one person looks familiar, but you're like, they don't remember my name. <laughs> and it's it's just not helpful where one million cups, because we meet weekly, you start to see these familiar faces. And it's going back to the feeling of not being alone, 
realizing how much a support system you have. And really, I feel like in entrepreneurship, the community is very small. It feels like a small town. And having that community and knowing people, they're going to help you make the connections and further your business even more. You can't you can't do a lot alone. So I got the sense from talking to Hillary that she has an interesting uh, set of insights into what's going on behind the scenes in people's personal careers as they prepare for transition. And I want to ask you something kind of similar, because as a virtual assistant for entrepreneurs, for founders, uh, for self-employed people, uh, you certainly saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sure this continues now, although I won't ask you directly about your current role, because uh, I mean, in the sense of, I'm not asking you to spill the beans on anybody that you're currently working for, but what I'm interested in more generally is, what have you noticed about founders or about the kinds of people who have hired you to, what what did you do for them? And, and what did you learn about that kind of breed of, of human animal in the course of doing that work? I think founders are diverse. Like you, there's some that are like the really creative visionary have no organizational abilities, but then you will also fa- find founders who are very organized. And I used to like the very unorganized founders would want an assistant, but you kind of have to do some of that work by yourself before you can have an assistant or you have nothing to give to them. Um, so it, they're just, di- they're just as diverse they're, You can't just put them in a box. When did you realize that that kind of a skill set was something you had? I mean, as somebody who looks at organized people with a sense of awe and mystery and wonder, I, I you know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to to be able to look at something where, you know, I thrive in kind of creative chaos. I love big ideas and strategy and, you know, visions for things. And I'll uh, you know, have 37 ideas, you know, in the shower and then throw three of them out the window on the, you know, as I walk to the garage. And, and when did you realize that you had a, a an ability to take something like that and help put some practicality and some reality and some operational execution to it. So I've done this forever. Like the honest answer is like probably age 13. (laughs) Um, I was student council president all throughout middle school and high school used to organize huge events like cancer fundraisers that went on for 24 hours. And in all of my jobs previously, I didn't realize it, but I was helping a founder. Um, And even right after college, I thought, I'm going to be an event planner. That's something I had always wanted was like I found my passion at age 16. I didn't realize passions could change. Like I thought you had one and you went with it. Um, And so I got this wedding planning job and it was a small business. So essentially I was supporting those founders, even though I was supporting brides. And so I kind of just switched it and said, I used to keep all my brides sane and now I get to keep these entrepreneurs sane. And all those skill sets, it's just about how you market yourself. It's using the same exact skills, just transferring them in a different way. When you look out at the general entrepreneurial ecosystem, our fancy word for the the broader community in which, to whatever degree we're connected to it, we're all trying to make stuff happen. You must have, as you've helped specific individuals navigate through certain challenges, gotten a sense of there are resources that are available. There are other people or other opportunities to connect them with. I mean, you obviously can't step in as Wonder Woman and fix everything on your own. So a lot of times you may also be guiding people to other things they need to know. What are some of the things you wish more people knew about that were available to them, either, uh, you know, resources, personal or professional, could help get their company on track, you know, et cetera. And I'm going to direct this question to both of you because there's so much out there and 
not all of it is getting the press that it deserves. So what are some of the resources or people or folks you wish were getting more attention in terms of the the entrepreneurship conversation? Yeah, we recently um, switched our venue for One Million Cups to the BBB, and they're doing a ton of stuff. And I think, especially for younger entrepreneurs, they don't really understand what the BBB is or the SBDC. Um, right. Even Legacy brands, the yeah. SBDC is a government agency. You just don't think of this when you think of startups. Right. Or even the fact that there's a lot of city things that you could get money from the city because they want, like, especially in the Valley, it kind of gets competitive. Like Phoenix really wants you to put your business in Phoenix instead of Glendale or instead of Scottsdale. And Goodyear, surprise. Yeah. There's so many city things. El Mirage doesn't (laughs) want Goodyear to win the West Valley. Oh, yes. I live in the West Valley. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, It gets very competitive. And so I think that those, even like a chamber of commerce, like some of those are trying to innovate. I even, the library, like, come on, there's so much. <laughs> the library is a great resource. I know. Actually. Yeah. The Phoenix Public Library System, the Maricopa County Library District, like Scottsdale Public Library has got an incredible resource. A lot of business stuff and like free courses. Yeah. Hillary, what about you? You've seen a lot. You've, uh, you know, kind of, you grew up here, but this this scene is is new to everyone to a certain degree. What are some of the resources that you wish more folks knew about? Uh, well, I definitely have to agree with Rachel that the BBB has been a fantastic partner to Phoenix Startup Week as well. Um, we're actually hosting our Wednesday and Thursday at the BBB. Um, another, you know, you mentioned that we uh, met at Hera Hub originally, and co-working spaces is something that's a little bit newer to the Valley, but um, I had a tremendous experience. There's co-working spaces all across the Valley from the west side to the east side, and you find a lot of people similar to a One Million Cups experience where there's people that are experiencing the same problems as you, but a lot of these have you know strategies put in place to identify what some of those top concerns are for business owners and even just people who work remotely for a large organization you still have that loneliness and the challenges and um, you can you can work together and work through those problems together through some of those co-working spaces and then you know lastly just to add in you know mentoring and coaching there's a lot of organizations that provide that either free or paid and um, it's not a bad thing to admit something that you don't know or you're not the expert of we all have our areas of expertise and that's why we thrive together uh, not in our own individual bubbles so finding that person that can either give you a skill set that you don't have or teach you something that, that you don't know yet. So we mentioned a few minutes ago, um, or we at least nodded in the general direction of the importance of inclusion and openness and a real sense of community, not just lip service, because these words are so easy to say. And and yet the the experience of belonging comes easier to some people than others by virtue of their own personality, by virtue of their own experience, by virtue of, you know, who gets to be part of the cool club, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot that's operating that, that is invisible because the very nature of privilege itself is to be invisible. I know that PHX Startup Week is deeply committed to community and to diversity and to inclusion and to really being a place where everybody can feel at home. And yet it's not enough to say that you're actually doing a lot of work to try to make that a reality. Hillary, can you share a bit about what the core org team and other groups within the organization are doing yourselves to try to tackle the diversity, inclusion, openness, and being a welcoming place? for everyone challenge what are you how are you going about it 
Yeah. So the original idea of, you know, our main theme being diversity and inclusion came from a lot of our individual past experiences. Um, I personally had registered for events in the past and then received a notification that I was not invited to attend because I didn't meet a certain criteria. I didn't have 50 employees or $100 million in revenue, something like that. And so with, you know, PHX Startup Week, what we're trying to do is, is it's not just an event for entrepreneurs. It's an event for everybody in the entire valley, in the state of Arizona. Everybody is welcome to come and be a part of it and feel a part of it. And what we've been doing behind the scenes, uh, this came as the brainchild of a few of our uh, core organizing team members, but it was to do diversity and inclusion training for us. And so we meet on the first Monday of every month from 6 to 8 p.m. And we're kicking off all of our meetings this year with, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes of a diversity and inclusion training. And this has been largely spearheaded by Amber, uh, who you know. And um, the, the one that we covered last night was empathy. So how can we learn to be more empathetic? How can we bring empathy to the event? Uh, before that, we did unconscious bias. You know, what, what does this mean? How are people handling it? How can we remove our own unconscious biases as we're planning and putting on this event? So it's been a really, really cool initiative that we've taken on this year. And I hope that people can see it when they come out to the event this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's the right work to do. It's not easy. Uh, and it's it's also not fast because, you know, there there are folks who might be staying away from experiences they've had, whether with Startup Week or something else that has shaped their perception of what this is all about. And that might take some time to really make people, uh, to really provide people with the lived experience that this is yours, not just, you know, someone else's. Rachel, this this topic of diversity and inclusion and openness is, is so important. And again, it's something you've seen from multiple points of view yourself uh, through your own journey from self-employed assistant, doing client work, to you know, your role, which continues with One Million Cups, to your role at you know, a, a significant and standout startup here in the Valley. What does it look like to you from that point of view? What are some of the things that we're doing well? What are some of the areas of opportunity? Yeah, and I, I think that we're talking more than most communities, all of the different groups, but I think we're still sort of caught up there. I think oftentimes people use the word siloed, like there's all of these groups that are addressing those different uh, minorities or genders or people doing the work, and sometimes they don't they don't like to talk. And so we're, we're starting to do that, um, but it, it's not fully there. And so I think if we just keep moving in that direction, like we're starting to reach those people and, and making them feel welcome and... Yeah, I think it's just continuing to invite, like whatever your event is, whatever you're holding, um, just continuing to invite all different types of people and letting them know that the door's always open. You know, it's such a it's such an interesting uh, and, and challenging paradox, because on the one hand, the very nature of business is it, it's it's at least it presents itself as a meritocracy. The idea that there's opportunities to perform in whatever way you, you know, there are, you can be rewarded for those performance, things of that nature. And of course, the conditions in which people perform, even in the same company, their own experience, what they go home to, you know, what, what roles they've had at other places have shaped their point of view. So it's not a level playing field and the opportunity is there for everybody. So there's this weird kind of blend of, of course, we're never free from these constraints and challenges and ways we need to grow up together and, and make 
you know, really make the kind of merit a, a real opportunity because just saying it again with disadvantages people who are starting from a different place. And at the same time, we don't want to remove the fact, you know, <laughs> I mean, how many of the startups at 1 million cups are not quick, for example, like they're just not, they don't have the same DNA. They don't have the same people. They don't have the same uh, execution. They don't have the same results, et cetera. And it's just one example among, among many. So the idea is not that everyone is going to be the next breakout, you know, success story and everyone deserves a chance and the support and the love and the care, including the, you know, the tough love of, hey, man, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I don't think that idea is going to fly. You know, try that again. Um, and building that all in. I mean, I'm not sure there's a question in this, but I'm kind of stumbling around trying to trying to find some reality to this is a big this is a big challenge. Once you make the community something that's important and you want to provide something that serves the community, um, you kind of get thrown into the middle of a lot of stuff. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Sometimes I don't even like commenting on this because I know I'm not good at it. Um, and we're all stumbling through it. Like, and that's what I think the work is of continuing to do it is that you make those mistakes. Um, like I always wish that we could be reaching out to more people for 1 million cups or serving them in better ways that actually are meeting them where they are. But we're all volunteers as well. <laughs> and so it's hard. It's just, it, yeah. But I don't like to also make excuses. So yeah, it's just, it's something we're all working on and we're not perfect at it. You know, it's the kind of hard we need to figure out. And that's, I, you know, I think that's a very honest answer. I appreciate that a lot. Um, it's, you know, the, 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 the reality is, so it's a little bit like, I, I'll pull something in from my own work on, on storytelling. I often joke that it's funny how many storytelling experts there are out there talking about story. Because talking about story and story are two fundamentally different phenomena, right? It's like the difference between a firefly and a fire. They have four letters in common, but they're completely different in their impact, in their intensity, in their ability to change the world, right? So talking about diversity and inclusion is not diversity and inclusion. As Robin Reed, chairman of the Black Chamber of Arizona, said in this studio, and I, I love what he said so much, I repeat it as often as I can. By the way, it's not diversity and inclusion, like they just go together. It's diversity, which is table stakes, that's necessary. Then inclusion, maybe, if you work at it and do it right. So diversity, then inclusion. Saying those words isn't enough. How do you make it real? How do you make the speakers uh Oh, the, the speaker opportunities open when people self-select out because they don't think it's for them. Uh, how do you make the organizing teams more representative of the community? How do you make the event itself removing some of the barriers, whether it's accessibility uh, or, you know, others? I mean, the, a lot of these barriers are psychological, are cultural, are lived experience of, of being left out before and everything that comes with that. What do you do about that, Hillary? Uh, it's something that we've definitely had a lot of conversation about. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it is just first starting even with awareness that it exists. Um, and so uh, as an organizing committee, we've been you know, very diligent in ensuring that our sponsors are um, 
not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Um, a lot of the sponsors are pulling funds from uh, diversity and inclusion dollars that the company has set aside, and they've they've made this a true effort in the organization. Um, on the programming side of it, with the core organizing team. Um, being aware of what we need to be communicating to the attendees so that they do under that they know that their needs are uh, to to be met at the event. You know, um, a, a story that I can share with that is I was working with somebody uh, that was a construction foreman in, in corporate buildings, and he uh, forgot to build a um, a wheelchair accessible ramp in through the parking lot. Um, it wasn't in the plans. So I, I shouldn't say it was he, but he was in charge of it. Yeah. Um, so then when the inspection came, uh, they had to tear up the sidewalk and he was very upset about it. Well, this uh, particular individual ended up becoming legally blind and now needed um, this, you know, the, the lines in the sidewalk and, and this accessibility that he didn't need before. And so sometimes it takes those situational awarenesses and beginnings. And now his story has changed even my perceptions, right, because I heard his story. And so I think it all ties back to um, this idea of having the conversation building awareness, and then learning how to make all of these things come together so that it is truly not only a diverse event, which will happen, um, you know, as time goes on, but also making it inclusive so that not only does everybody feel welcome, but they enjoy the event and share their story and their experience, which will then bring more people and everything else will come organically. I I think there's an important uh, thing that happens in these kind of human endeavors, where at some point, if we're doing it well, uh, it, it stops belonging to us and becomes a thing on its own. You know, certainly, um, at, at, I spent a lot of years in higher education and certainly on a university campus, you know, th- there's nobody in charge of the culture at Berkeley, right? It's, but, but there is a Berkeley thing and people feel like they belong to it in whatever way they do. And whether you're a member of the Young College Republicans or Students for Justice in Palestine, at some level, you feel like you're in a place where you can express yourself and find other people that you resonate with and, you know, f- find a way to navigate you know, being part of this greater thing. And I feel like the 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 PHX ecosystem more generally is is attempting to do something like that, create an intentional community container in which people can flourish regardless of exactly what they're doing. And and it does require a, a lot of different effort by a lot of different people, most of which is going to end up being unrecognized, just the nature of things, to get us to the place where there's that tipping point. Where people say, all right, you know what? This this is a place where I, I belong. I may not go all the time, but I wanna I wanna be there. Somebody who's coming to Startup Week for the first time, what are they going to see? What what's it going to be like? Like one of the barriers may be they have no idea what we're talking about. So could you paint both of you have been multiple times? Could you paint a picture that would give people the sense of this is something I need to attend? Because we we could say that it is, but unless we give them something to imagine themselves in, they may not know. So what's what's going to be happening between February 17 and 22nd at PHX Startup Week? Basically, in a word, um, bananas, right? We say that word a lot in the core organizing team. You mean like energy, <laughs> right. ca- chaos, yes. a lot going on. <laughs> yes, uh, thousands lots, of, lots people. of energy, thousands of people. Um, we're starting off uh, the 17th and the 18th at Galvanize, um, which is a, a space downtown. 
Um, that the theme of those two days is um, to be inspired, right? So we have a lot of really heavy keynote speakers. Um, everybody will be in one room. There won't be any breakout sessions. Um, and then moving from there, the next two days to the Better Business Bureau. And the theme of those two days is to learn. So you want to be, um, this is, you know, heavy workshop days, heavy breakout sessions, um, really connecting with the other individuals in the community, coming together to learn new things. And then we close off the event at Fabric, which is in Tempe. And the theme of those two days is to do. So now we've we've been inspired, we've learned, and we're bringing it all back together and learning how to execute it. And that will be more of a traditional format with, you know, keynote speakers and breakout sessions. Um, so again, it's it's a lot of information that's thrown at you in six days, but there's a lot of amazing people that come out. We do have thousands of attendees that come through each day. Some people come for one day. Some people come for all six days. Um, we have lunch. We have a lot of fun. Uh, we do several happy hours throughout the week. So you know, after you've uh, learned all of this information and gotten your swag bag, um, then you can uh, come and, and hang out at a bar that's you know generally sponsored by one of the main event sponsors and. And, you know, have a couple of drinks with the core team as well. So that's kind of what to expect in a nutshell. <laughs> What's it like, Rachel, from the attendee point of view? Can you paint a picture that somebody could imagine themselves in? So the first year that I went, I was super new to Phoenix. I probably had lived here for less than six months. And I went and I just picked out all of the interesting uh, titles that sounded fun to me. So basically um, what Hillary was referring to is like breakout sessions or things where um, subject matter experts will speak. And I just went to the ones that seemed interesting. Um, I didn't. I don't think I went to any happy hours this that year, but I did network during lunch and I, I met some people. And then the second year, it was crazy because I had been going to more networking events. I'd been doing more things that it was like connecting with all of the other um, small business owners, entrepreneurs, people who work for startups that I now know from being connected in this community and just getting to really spend time with them and catch up. I went to a few less breakout sessions last year because of that and um, went to the happy hours and got to meet people they know. I think that's the nice thing if um, if you do, I mean, if you do know someone going, you can go together and then and meet people and kind of see like, oh, you know, this person get introduced and the network just widens and widens because it's so easy to uh, meet people at Phoenix Startup Week because everyone seems to be there. One of the things that I'm wary of, although I, I'm a, an outgoing person um, when I'm not holed up being a hermit, I seem to have these two polar opposites pulling at the same time. Uh, but I thrive on buzzing, busy, loud spaces. I, I'm comfortable there. But the introverts listening to this may have just curled up in a blanket and said, I have no interest in anything like that. And uh, you probably both have something to say about this issue. Is there a way you need to be <laughs> at these things? How do you get the most out of your experience, regardless of uh, you know who you are. How could you come and participate and engage? You know, what are some of the options for people? So, um, with our effort of being diverse and inclusive, one of the things that we've also set up are spaces where you can get away from the other. You know thousand people that are there that day. Um, so you can even take like a work call if you need to. Um, we certainly are, are expecting a lot of entrepreneurs that can't just take, you know, the six days off of work and need to maintain business as usual. Um, so we do have a lot of that in place as well. And, and these particular venues offer a lot of that great space and availability as well. Another thing that I, I teach, you know, clients I work with, people that are very extroverted, also very introverted, 
Um, is that one, it's also about uh, taking time to refresh. So if you are not the extrovert, then maybe skip the happy hour, go home, <laughs> take a bath and uh, come back out the next day and do it again. Um, and it's not about meeting a thousand people at these events. It's about establishing those quality connections. So if you meet one or two people that you know you can continue to have a conversation with, grab lunch a month later, um, that makes the event a success for you. So you know, come out and enjoy and meet those one or two people and take away something good from that. Rachel, what's your advice yeah. for different kinds of folks to get the most out of it? Uh, the first year that I went, I went alone, so it's totally possible. And the advice that I would give is whenever you go to a session, introduce yourself to the person you're sitting next to and don't sit where no one is sitting because you are going to this event to meet people. You are going to this event to learn. So clearly you are trying to get out of your comfort zone. Um, even if you are an introvert, like I've heard from so many people, this is difficult. But if you sit next to someone, you say, hi, my name is Rachel. Like, what's your name? They will talk to you and you'll just get to know them. And I agree that fewer quality connections versus is just knowing lots of names is always better. And and people in this community are just constantly generous. That's the person next to you will want to talk to you. It's a, such an opportunity as well, I think, to show up at, to contribute. Um, if you if you take the pressure off a little bit by imagining for just one second, although for the most part, you know, we all have kind of a dark place in our heads where, you know, we're not very kind to ourselves. But the reality is, is that if, if, if you're up to something, you've learned something that could help somebody else. So if you simply said to yourself, you know what, I don't know who in this room needs whatever I can provide, which might just be a, an ear might be an introduction to somebody else, might be, uh, you know, just just a, a smile. Uh, you'll show up in the mindset of having something to give, even at the most basic human level. And that's what really helps the environment itself be, uh, you know, a, a warm and welcoming place. You know, at your example, Rachel, of, of don't go sit in the middle of an empty row of chairs, but do identify somebody who's already done that. Go sit next to them. You might discover you've made a great friend or um, a really interesting connection or you get an introduction to somebody else or you just never know. I mean, it, it, we're so convinced that we know in advance. And so we protect ourselves sometimes from the opportunity that's around us everywhere. Um, couple of parting words here on on the very definition itself. I mean, this is startup week, but it's not startups traditionally defined. So this is not just for the tech community. This is not just for, you know, four guys in hoodies with a foosball table or whatever your stereotype uh, of a startup is. Hillary, talk to us about who should come to this event. To echo what you said, it is not just for startups. It is called PHX Startup Week because that is our brand that we started six years ago. And a lot of the content uh, can be geared towards um, you know, more of that entrepreneurial spirit, but it's for anybody who's involved in business in any way across the state. So this can be someone that shops and buys things. It can be someone who's starting a business. It can be an employee of a large corporate business. Um, really anything in between uh, fits into the attendees that we've had in the past. Um, beyond that, we have some really good sponsors too. So um, you know, just kind of a shout out to them that what they're bringing to the table is also something that a lot of attendees can benefit from. And um, it's not just startups that are sponsoring this event either. It's a, lar a lot of large corporations that can help us put this on that have a passion for developing our community here. 
Absolutely. And when it comes to sponsorships, I know there are still some opportunities there. A number of the slots are filled, but there's still, uh, if, if you're listening to this thinking, oh, you know what, I need to get in touch with those folks, they should contact Ryan, who's currently head of sponsorships. Correct. Yes. And actually, our sponsorship opportunities do close on January 31st. So we are in a time crunch here uh, for any uh, other businesses that would want to support us as a sponsor. So act now. The the literal window of opportunity is closing soon. And, and tickets, of course, are currently available. They will never be cheaper than they are right now. It's a crazy good deal. $50 for the week, which includes lunch every day. Uh, and that's for all the events at all the venues. Or if you're not available for the whole week, you only want to attend a single venue, you can get a venue pass for $25. Anything else people need to know about the logistics of registering for the event or sponsorships? Um, so the ticket prices will go up again uh, before the event. Uh, I believe that that's scheduled to happen at the end of this week. Uh, the week-long pass will go up to 65 and the venue pass up to 35 So I would definitely recommend buying now if you plan to attend, um, especially if you want to go for the week. Um, in terms of logistics, you know, we are trying to also be eco-friendly. So any opportunity that you have to take public transportation or ride share, uh, carpooling, um, it, as Rachel mentioned, it's great to have a friend. So ride along with your friend and, um, you know, definitely just be conscious of the environment as well. Absolutely. And volunteers, still opportunity. This takes a lot to put on. Yes, we need lots of volunteers to execute the actual event. Uh, we have day shifts available, multiple day shifts available, and you do get access to the event if you volunteer. Marvelous. Uh, my final question for both of you as we wrap up this interesting conversation is, as you personally look forward to the future, uh, in the role that you're in now, with everything you see happening around you, what are you most excited about? What are you inspired by? What's coming at you that really lights you up? Well, it really lights me up. I think it is just uh, that um, we're in our sixth year, and um, I'm really excited to see how much forward we can move this whole community and this whole initiative. I'm just I'm very excited for that for this year. Rachel, what about the future has you inspired? I think I'm just excited when I see how many people are going out of their way to meet up with people or have coffee that they've met at these type of events to help, how you said, going in with the how can I help or how can I serve mindset. I really feel like that's that's what Phoenix is. Um, and it's it's just really awesome to watch that. Yeah, communities built one conversation at a time, one connection at a time, one new friendship at a time. And uh PHX Startup Week is a great opportunity to accelerate that, to contribute to it, but also to benefit. I mean, this is a time when this community really comes together in all of its fullness and banananess and all kinds of chaos. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And it's, um, it's really an exciting opportunity to see and experience um, not being alone, which can be great, right? I want to thank both of you for joining us for this conversation today. Rachel Kratz is lead organizer for One Million Cups Phoenix and also the executive assistant to the CEO of a local technology startup. And Hillary Ken is chief of staff for PHX Startup Week, also a consultant who helps entrepreneurs uh, and career uh, folks transition from their thing to what's next. Thank you both for joining us here in the studio today. Thank you. For all of us here at phx.fm, this is Dr. Adrian McIntyre. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio.
Thank you.